0: Welcome back to the SMRT Podcast. I'm your host, Barry Underwood. And this week, I brought in Mr. Callan Harris, the owner of Shatterbox Coffee. And we're going to be talking about the history of coffee as well as his own personal fascination with the bean. But before we go on any further, quick confession... Uh, This is actually my second attempt at doing uh, this podcast. Uh, The first interview I've ever done in my life and for Damn You Box was with Callan Harris about five years ago. And uh, it was one of the most informative, amazing uh, interviews I've ever done in my life. And I guess I didn't believe in backing up my work and I somehow, somehow lost the recording. i know but uh he's he's luckily a one hell of a gentleman and decided to come back and he didn't even make fun of me for losing the recording and so yeah here we go this is our second attempt and i've labeled this one bean talking about coffee i hope you guys enjoy and yeah enjoy the show back before i even had like a a real concept for podcast i interviewed you for damn you a box a website i was doing at the time yeah and uh because we met through shatterbox correct yes because you uh own and operate shatterbox and my girlfriend and i found that when you were on was it yates yep (laughs) yeah and that was just such a fun cozy little place and i was still in uh just finishing up uh what well right before i dropped out of college basically (laughs) um and I would go there and study a lot. And you just had a fantastic setup there. So oh, yeah, thank you. I mean, it was um, it was one of those spaces that was very intentionally
1: thought out and designed. And we had a very specific. Uh, vision for it and then um we found that that ex- uh, that vision was going to be way too expensive and yeah so then <laughs> we, we uh we kind of did what we could with what we had and um it, it lent itself to a lot of character and yeah uh, and a really cool uh really cool vibe i mean I, I was i've been um you know reminiscing about some of the cool aspects that we had uh in that backspace there that we had like a graffiti artist come in and do some uh really cool art bull artwork on the yeah on, on the back wall there and we had ton of tons of events both private and public back there like mm-hmm. whiskey tastings and um, you know I held hosted a couple of super bowl parties there nice and yeah and then of course like the the obligatory you know community uh, yeah. stuff like that and you know it was so yeah it was a, it was one of those spaces that kind of was unintentionally cool yeah it,
0: <laughs> it it was a very unique setup i personally enjoyed and um yeah like i, I recorded my first 3 episodes there i remember i had this i had um, and i didn't really have a traveling kit either i just had like a huge mixer <laughs> i would just pack it yeah. i remember i did like a gaming podcast there uh i think that was the first episode i ever did hmm. but either way that was uh, a long time ago and we did this uh then i um interviewed you and i gotta say it was the most interesting podcast like uh i learned so much about coffee that day i didn't think to back up any of my material so <laughs> it just ended up going nowhere and it's it's actually haunted me for years <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that we, uh, I was finally able to get you back on here and I've been trying to get this going again for a while, but just, uh, work took over and now I'm just in a comfortable enough spot where I'm just wanting to focus on this now. Well, very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to, man. Like, uh, it's, it's funny cause like <clears throat> over the years I've, uh, I've removed myself a little bit from, um, the operations of Shatterbox and, uh, yep. even to some degree the, the ownership, um, yet. Coffee is still one of those things that, um, like, I still revel over my morning coffee, and yeah. like, I'm very particular about uh, the flavors that I'm looking for. And I was recently back in Germany, where my love of coffee was actually founded. Yeah, and um, went back to the cafe that I worked at and trained at and learned and um, and had the coffee there, and um, was equally enthralled by the experience and the mm-hmm. flavors. And then uh, I uh, I made sure that I brought some of their beans home and yeah that's <laughs> and, nice. and definitely enjoyed for a couple of weeks there as best I could the 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 the, the, the beans from the fatherland as it were yeah and um, cafe culture itself is is one of those things that I think is um, becoming more and more I guess broadly appreciated in our, our communities as as you know, our political leadership starts to kind of fail. I think there's a lot of people that are um, are using coffee shops to organize and, and to grow their, um, their their connection to their their, their surroundings and their, the yeah. people that they live with. And as Canada becomes more urban, um, these are natural places for people to gather. And that's uh, that's one of the really big reasons why I started Shatterbox in the first yeah. place was to offer people like yourself and, and others uh, a place to gather and enjoy and, and and have some really cool quality beverages to go along with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you started in Germany, like you mentioned, and, and you also used to be a bartender too, yes? Yeah, that I I, uh, I moved to Victoria as a, uh, a novice bartender, server, cook. Yeah. Um,
1: and that was in 2003, um, and I started, uh, I cut my teeth at Milestones on the Inner Harbor there. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I worked at a couple other little establishments, and then ended up in um, Brentwood Bay at the, uh, the Lodge and Spa there. No way. Working nice. as the, the bartender and supervisor there, and... Um, Yeah. And so like I worked with a really cool sommelier who uh, expanded a lot of um, my understanding of what flavor was and what flavor composition was. And um, it's where I also started to actually make my first coffees. Yeah. Um, It was terrible coffee. It was like the bulk stuff you get from Cisco. And yeah, um, it was on a machine that was never well maintained and nobody knew what they were doing. But Mm -hmm. it was still that first kind of opportunity to go like, oh, I did something good there. Yeah. And I did something bad there. And then combine that with that experience of like growing and learning about what flavors are and what can be done and yeah. and be achieved from various um, various beverages. So, yeah. At, uh, but it was one of those things where in um, in 2009, I decided that you know I'd had enough of Victoria and um, my life was changing in a couple of different directions, and so I was like, stuff it! I'm going to Germany. <coughs> and uh, and I, while I was there, I was looking to become a translator, and um, and it turns out the Germans are very. Um, sticklerish when it comes to paperwork and and so you must have the paperwork Um, (laughs) and I never did get a like a certificate of translation I just kind of went in looking like hey I'm a native speaker I went to university I clearly I know what uh, the English language is supposed to look like and yeah um, took a few marketing courses as well so I can help you do your translation uh, internationally of course which is something that the Germans do a ton of but um, they thought that uh, they knew better than me. And so <laughs> they, <laughs> I didn't, I uh, didn't do particularly well in that field. Um, and I also found it really, really mundane. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, what it did do is it pushed me back into the service industry. And um, I found this great little place called Cafe Knut in uh, in, in Ottensen, um, which is just a little part of Hamburg. And Hamburg is, is one of those things. And this is kind of um, what I didn't I didn't really appreciate it at the time was as a Hanseatic city. Um, it has been a, a, a hub of, uh, of import and export for, um, literally centuries. And, um, as such, um, as part of the Hanseatic trade route, um, saw a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, coffee and, and other things come in very, very early. Yeah. So the first coffee houses in Hamburg were grounded or were founded in 1677, I think, Jesus. 1673, maybe even in Bremen. And, um, and so that what that does, is, of course, is that when you have that kind of, um, you know, cosmopolitan, um, you know, ebb and flow of cultures and, and goods and, and stuff that uh, and people that um, it really enrich um, people's experience, you start to kind of see what what takes. Right. Yeah. And of course, that was the time that it was um, the start of the um, the 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 Enlightenment. And so there's all sorts of people that, I mean, that's, it's, they've, you know, Europe's recovered from the plague and, um, and people are starting to urbanize a little bit. And, um, and now there's uh, people with free time and ideas and they're starting to think, and now they're stimulated by this brand new drink from, uh, from, uh, Africa that's been imported via, you know, um, Persia and then through uh, Italy and the Mediterranean and, um, yeah, it's it's it just ended up creating this really cool culture of uh of discovery and, and exploration and um and humanity and um, yeah. I mean like all the liberal ideals that that um uh, that we enjoy as Canadians and North Americans and in the West in general can be traced back to the kind of conversations that were being had and and being acted upon in coffee houses. Yeah. Cuz this is one of the one of the fun things that I was I, like I always kind of uh, imagine is that there's probably some guy like uh like a John Locke or some of these uh, liberal thinkers uh, that came through in the Enlightenment that were definitely around in the fifteen hundreds uh, and fourteen hundreds, yeah. they were just all in pubs, and so their ideas never ma- saw more <laughs> than the daylight you yeah. know, the, the next day. So yeah, it's it's I've, I, as much as coffee is uh, is you know seen its ebbs and flows. It, it, I think it's been this very um, very important part of our development as a as a society and as a culture. Yeah, I mean you see it as I mean the fact that it's the number two traded good um on the, on the world market next to oil um it's it does play a tremendous role in in, in uh, the world and shaping the world as it is both yeah. economically and socially
0: absolutely yeah and so like, you, uh, when you went to germany it wasn't intentionally for coffee like you just kind of stumbled across it yeah exactly
1: like um I had worked in, in bartending and, uh, and so I had, I was coming to Europe with a, a North American cocktail knowledge and, and wine knowledge. And that is one of the things that, uh, drew my employers, my, my future employers at the time, uh, to me, it was because I could make a decent margarita of, uh, yeah <laughs> I could make a hell of a martini. Yeah. And that's something that, um, Germans have always been more along the lines of like Caribbean drinks, like, um, Uh, like these big fruity punches and stuff like that and they were Mm -hmm. looking for something a little bit more refined and that was something that was kind of popular in the in the 2000s here in Canada and yeah and so I was able to bring that for them and um and they said well we've got a a day shift that needs to cover too and I was like what's that entail and they're like well making 300 coffees in a a shift (laughs) and uh I was like I don't know um and the, keep in mind, this is the first place where I sat down ever, and a um, bartender offered me uh, a coffee. Was, this is part of the interview process. He's like, do you want yeah. a coffee? And I said, I'd love to have a coffee. And he says, what do you, what do you drink? I'm like, uh, a cappuccino. He's like, great. you take a little sugar in there? I'm like, yeah. So he, handed, he you know, pulled down the eight-ounce little cup and uh, put a little teaspoon of, uh, of of raw sugar in there, poured the espresso over top, gave it a little stir. Steamed the perfect milk with the correct amount of foam and the perfect texture. Yeah, um, perfect temperature. Laid it down in front of me with this beautiful rosetta right on top, and I was like, "What just happened right now?" Yeah, that alone, the visual experience, the like the the. I don't know, like the humanity of, of just like, how do you want it, man? And it's mm-hmm. not the Tim Hortons, like, how do you want it? I'm going to have a machine dole it out for you. It's a yeah. matter of like, I think as in the way, in the traditions of true bartenders, yeah. they kind of get a sense of like, oh, you're an American. You're probably going to want your martini extra sweet, you know, like, or, yeah. or your margarita extra sweet. But if you're you know a British, you're going to really want a bone dry gin and tonic, like Absolutely. Have, a, have this kind of sense of understanding of who the, who I'm serving and so then he you know put together this this beautiful cappuccino laid it down in front of me and i you know took a sip and i was literally blown away i was like what just happened like yeah. literally I, I i looked at him i'm like this is fucking amazing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, um i'd never i'd like i'd been drinking coffee in in canada for decades yeah and never had that ha- had that experience and so um, when they, uh, after they decided that they were going to hire me and said, they're going to need me, need me for a day shift. I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, after a week of making really crappy coffee and, but making hundreds of them, yeah. um, I started to get better and better and, um, I started to find a passion for it. And I found myself leaving my 10 hour, uh, bar shift and going home and Googling coffee yeah and um spending hours upon hours researching, and then I found that um across the street from the gym I was going to three or four days a week uh, was another roastery mm-hmm. and uh, I walked in there and uh buddy had like um he had uh, apprenticed in Italy for four years. so now all of a sudden i'm I'm working in this place that is well well respected in the community for great coffee, great service, great experience I'm now uh, i'm I'm now regularly chatting with this guy that had, uh, had spent four years intensively studying uh, quality Italian coffee, sourcing coffee, storing coffee, roasting coffee. And um, and he was doing it very much in the old school way where there was a bit of technology, but mostly just temperature gauges in a couple of spots and yeah. and cue cards, like pa- paper notes on like this is the kind of coffee. Like we dialed in the coffee and this is what we work. Yeah. And now we let my, our senses, our trained senses, uh, dictate how the rest of this unfolds, right? Mm-hmm and um and so like over the course of about 18 months of just pure obsession i just like i was literally spending probably easily 16 hours a day just obsessing about coffee probably four or five days a week wow yeah and so that's where um <laughs> when i came home in 2000 uh 12, 11, 12 um i started like trying to find all the best coffee shops that i could and i was on mm-hmm. the west coast and of course like you know, this is the home of, of Merchie's and Starbucks and all yeah. this. Like, the, this is where good coffee is supposed to exist in North America. And I couldn't find anybody that was doing anything remotely similar to what I'd experienced in virtually every corner of that city. And yeah. I was utterly disappointed.
0: Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs>
1: um, and the, the funny thing is, is when I moved to Victoria, back to Victoria in, um, and I guess it would have been, yeah, 2012. And you you went to all the, the the cool spots the the spots that were supposed to be doing great third wave coffee yeah and and I got t- mad respect for all those guys because they were ones that were really pushing the envelope on what North Americans were really okay with as far as coffee they were going you know hardcore Ethiopian very light um, very fruity very acidic um, p- and pressing these and pushing these things like espressos where traditionally over the you know previous twenty years Starbucks was the definer of espresso yes which was burnt to shit and, you know, mm-hmm. and black as hell and, and really didn't have a lot of nuance and certainly yeah. no acidity. I mean, other than just like the acrid acidity. Yeah. Um, and you know, these were really, these guys were really trying something new, but then again, there was kind of this, uh, I don't know, this idea that there was something more to the coffee than the experience of the coffee. Yeah. And so then they, um, th- I guess they, they held the coffee itself too high. Yeah, and and I, I mean, and again, I respect them for doing it because it's. I think it's what it's done is it's pushed other people, everybody, to kind of go. What is so special about this bean? What's so What's so special about this process of roasting it and and, and and grinding it and and packing it into little pucks and then jamming water through it at high pressure? Yeah, they. But the, the experience itself wasn't wasn't as as friendly and as wholesome and as service oriented as as, um, as it was in my little experience in in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. And so then. Uh, and then combine with that with the fact that like I I missed my perfect cappuccino foam. Yes. <laughs> and now I, when when I say that, people always go, "Oh, you, you, they picture the the, the 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 Capuchin monk style hat of the piled airy foam yeah. on top of it." That's not the way it's supposed to be, um, in my estimation. Anyways, I'm sure there's probably Italians out there that are saying you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. But for me, um, it's that it's the correct proportions. Like that's where I mean every bartender knows that um, mm-hmm. that. Proportionality matters, right? And so absolutely. Like, and if you um, you see that you know, as and every good chef will tell you that everything on the plate should be a complement to the to the dish. Yeah. Um, I believe the same is true of our uh, of our coffees. Is that every bit in that uh, every component of the drink should complement the overall experience. Mm-hmm. So that's where a cappuccino uh, should be a one third, one third, one third, mm-hmm. one third espresso, one third milk, and one third foam, and that foam can't be that airy stuff that just kind of dissipates in your mouth and actually doesn't do anything Mm -hmm. you have to have microfoam and that microfoam acts like a mousse or something else where um you are adding a little bit of air into uh these really intense flavors the, the the espressos and um allowing your 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 uh your taste buds to really take it all in yeah um And that's something that not a lot of people achieved. So I spent a lot of time uh, going around and feeling disappointed about all the cappuccinos I was drinking and not enjoying. And uh, somewhere along the line, somebody said, you should just open your own coffee shop, Caelan. Shut up about it.
0: Yeah. How how long back into being in Victoria um, was that that you thought maybe this is like, if I'm not going to find this um, anywhere, I might as well just do it for myself.
1: Well, I'd spent uh, about six months working with a friend of mine in Nanaimo, um, both in Nanaimo, so like half a week up there and half a week down here, and I was working with him um, doing some sales and he was trying to do some wholesale yeah. um, stuff. And um, I, yeah, it was about five, six months of uh, of poking around, and trying to figure out what I was doing with myself and if this was kind of the, the angle that I wanted to go on, and um, where you know, a, a peer, a, my best friend had growing up was. Uh, making a go of it as an entrepreneur. And I said, well, why, why not me? Yeah. Um, And I had a tremendous amount of support from, uh, you know, my wife and my, my family. And um, they said, yeah, I mean, if we got faith in you, so why don't you give it a whirl? And Mm -hmm. um, so I spent uh, another few, several months putting together a business plan and kind of figuring out what it exactly was that I was looking to do and finding partners. And, um, and then it took, once we even got the doors open, it was still another, you know, four or five, six months of, of kind of figuring out. What the actual end product should look like for our customers, um, before I was like, okay, yeah, this is it. You know, this is this is the kind of experience that I want people to have at Shatterbox. Mm-hmm. But wow. yeah, it was it, it was a it was a long <laughs> it was a long it was it was a weird and I mean not weird it was it was a kind of an an intense time that, that year of uh, after coming back. Yeah, but got back from Germany in, in December of 2011, and uh, we opened Shatterbox on November 26th, 2012.
0: Wow. Yeah, I think I I came across Shatterbox maybe 2013 ish, maybe 14. Yeah, we uh, yeah. yeah
1: that sounds about right.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it was the first couple months, of course, you know,
1: wintertime. Everybody's certainly focused on their own lives and trying to do Christmas, and they're yeah. not looking to explore a new coffee shop. So the first few months were definitely lean. Yeah, um, but as soon as spring came around, um, we had this really cool sun, uh, like south facing patio. Yeah, um, that was a, a big part of what I figured was going to set us apart because a lot of cafes and even restaurants in Victoria don't really have a lot of outdoor seating, mm-hmm. and certainly not south-facing. So, um, yeah, I was pretty stoked about having that as an opportunity for us. And, yeah, we started to do really well. We were right across the street from, of course, two of the busiest um, businesses in, in Harris Green, Victoria. Yeah, um,
0: like Market on Yates. And, and the London Drugs there. Yeah. Um Yeah, I think it was my girlfriend who... She really liked the patio there, and we we used to go to, we had a couple of spots that we would uh, frequent, and she just wanted to try something new, and then she had stumbled across, um, yeah, just that, your patio, and she thought it seemed great, and um, just in between, like, classes we met, and then, you know, basically the rest was history. Yeah. And like you said, I remember we had chatted before, because I would, I would get the... Um, just like purely coffee and then you briefly told me the story about um about cappuccino because you'd ask me if i like cappuccinos and like you know i've never really given it a shot like all i have knew about cappuccinos was like basically um like have you seen like uh so i married an axe murderer yeah. <laughs> you know like like that enormous like almost novelty size yeah like coffee or cappuccinos like that's that's all that's what i thought of uh, mainly like espresso <laughs> drinks at the time or anything like if it was covered in the Simpsons by anything. But other than that, I never really gave it a shot other because, um, you know, like I just heard bad things from like, you know, Starbucks and all this other stuff.
1: Well, that's the weird thing, right? Is that, you know, Starbucks as much as, um, you know, a lot of the third wave uh, coffee purveyors and uh, and everybody else likes to give them a hard time. They're really the ones that popularized espresso in North America. Yeah. Um, you know, rightly or wrongly, they, they defined the nomenclature, like the fact that, you know, people still order 16 ounce cappuccinos. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's clearly, uh, I mean, it's, it's not ignorance necessarily. It's, it's what Starbucks told them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, like is the, that caricature that I believe I ordered a large <laughs> yeah. uh, from Mike Myers there at the beginning. Um, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate that Starbucks, a, a marketing guy um, in, uh, what's his name? uh schultz uh you know he he went to italy he saw italians steaming milk and mm-hmm. adding it to their espresso and he thought geez this is gonna make us millions but he had no understanding of what was actually going on in the machine or in the roasters or yeah. anything else he, he'd only ever known what uh his business partners had, had been taught about mm-hmm. um about uh, about coffee and of course at that time the only thing that North Americans generally, other than of course the Italian immigrants, um, were drinking were it was, it was filter coffee and it mm-hmm. was generally cheap filter coffee. Yeah. So, um, when you have, uh, what's his first name, Alfred, Alfred Pete or Albert Pete, something like that. He's the guy from Pete's coffee that, uh, started in, um, uh, ooh, what's that place? Uh, I've forgotten all the names now. It's not <laughs> part, of, it's not part of my daily discourse. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, in San something or other, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the universities down there. It's, it's, but Pete started his coffee shop down there as, yeah. and he's the son of a, uh, importer, exporter, uh, Dutch importer, exporter, which is a very traditional Dutch thing to do. Um, and, and actually, it's actually funny if you go back, uh, the Dutch have, um, so much, so much, of a so hu- like a huge role in the, um, in the, the, the spread of coffee around the world. Yeah. But, um, so Alfred Pete, he shows up in, um, what the heck is it? It's USC, I guess, is where they were, the boys were going to school and he shows up there and he starts a coffee company and he, his motto was roast it dark, um, and only use Arabica coffee. Now, uh, Arabica coffee is uh, a higher quality coffee because it's higher grown. It's denser. You can, it takes a roast a lot better. Yeah. Um, but the reason why he was roasting it dark was because, um, as a drip coffee, we, and when you filter your coffee that way, um, there's no pressure to ex- extract the the essence of the coffee out of the coffee beans cell structure. Yeah. So if you roast it dark, you actually crack the cell structure. You actually break th- those things open so that you actually get more of the essence of the coffee in your cup. It's yeah. perturbed a little bit by the fact that it's burnt, but you still end up with a richer tasting, bolder flavor than you were getting with the medium roasted stuff that was done in North America up until that point. Yeah. So the boys that, that were running Starbucks or that ran Starbucks, um, they were going to school and they were going to Albert Pete's coffee shop and they brought um, they, they moved back to Seattle, which is where they were from. They opened their, their businesses of whatever they were doing um, and they kept doing trips down to, I can't remember the place, <laughs> <laughs> they, to, Pete's, to Pete's shop yeah. um, to bring coffee back to Seattle. Yeah. And then they would alf- also do trips up to Vancouver to Merchie's uh, and bring coffee back down as well. Because I think Merchies has also that kind of that, um, that European tradition of roasting coffee dark. Yeah. Um, and it was somewhere in the seventies where they were like, why aren't we doing this ourselves? Like we, we know what's going on here. We understand that there's a market. There's tons of people that are keep asking us to bring pounds upon pounds of the stuff back. Why don't we do it ourselves? And it was these guys that were doing everything essentially right. You know, like they were, they were doing what was taught to Europeans writ large, yeah Um, for a long long time and then this marketing guy comes along and says we're going to blow this thing up uh he does that but then he then perturbs it he he makes he makes it swings the uh (laughs) swings the pendulum in the wrong direction and he doesn't doesn't truly appreciate the the i guess the the real damn damage he's doing to to yeah to, to coffee and espresso by um combining two uh roasting traditions and blending traditions that don't actually belong yeah but I, it was, it was. Uh, I mean, it, again, it's it's as much as he ruined coffee for a lot of North Americans, <clears throat> in my estimation. I think he did a tremendous benefit because the rest of us who make a, a living off of coffee um, and do it and good coffee wouldn't be able to do that. Like, because there's nobody would even they'd walk into our coffee shops and go, "What the heck is a cappuccino? What's a latte? Macchiato? Yeah. Like, what's that even mean?" Right? Yeah. So, I mean, they spent a ton of money on on marketing that helped us all out. I figure in the, in the long run, and now we are finally getting to a place where. Um, he lived down the road from a, and a tremendous roaster in Esquimont Roasting Company.
0: Yeah, actually, it's um, a question that I wanted to ask you as well about like, because uh, like, we just use a French press here. Mm-hmm. And um, overhearing him talk about coffee, like uh, just things that I never would consider. Like one, how fine do you grind your coffee? Like how do you like uh, even like temperature and stuff like that, like all these little things that people do to like you're saying, uh, kind of get different nuances out of the coffee like Mm -hmm. is there like how do you prepare your coffee at home i am
1: um i guess i'm I'm an italian luddite i suppose i like um i use the uh the old um bialettis or the the mocha pots so that's the uh the screw top um you know a little espresso pot kind of thing Mm -hmm. so um and that one's uh it's it's for whatever reason I I think there's because it's a metal filter you end up with just a little bit more body than you do in paper filters Mm -hmm. um and I am very much a a fan of let's go yeah northern European or middle middle European coffee I, I like I like that stuff that's um got body that's got nuance but that's not any one thing in any one direction like I don't want it to be too chocolatey i don't want it to be too fruity i don't want it to be too acidic i don't mm-hmm. want it to be too anything yeah i want it to be that perfect balance of like this is um perfect as an espresso it's perfect as a, an americano you could stick a latte over it mm-hmm. um, you can make it a cappuccino um i feel like coffee shouldn't be or doesn't have to be anyways um one of those things where it's like um you know that it's a digestif or an aperitif for a mm-hmm. um or it's like, this is like the only thing you, the only time you can drink this is at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Or it's, you know, like, it should yeah. be a flavor that is appealing at any time of the mm-hmm. day. And, um, yeah, and so that's where I, I find that uh, that mocha pot is, um, I, and for the coffees that I like that are blended well and um, that have that layered uh, flavor profile, I find that that mocha pot does a pretty good job of uh, of making a pretty tasty cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah. But for people who are who want to be extra nerdy about it, Yeah. Um, there are really endless variables. I mean, um, mm-hmm. there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the coarseness of the grind, the, the temperature of the water, the time of the brew, the, the, the brew method. Um, you know, like there's some really cool stuff being done even here um, with like cold brew uh, mm-hmm. technology. Like uh, Sam Jones over at 2% Jazz was working with uh, some guys from the University of Victoria that, um, I think they've actually even put out a, uh, a, a cold brew machine yeah. Um, that is, um, I, I have yet to, yet to taste the product, but I imagine, I mean, like the, I'd taste, I'd had, um, some samples of, uh, the earlier temps. Yeah. And it's super cool, man. Like, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, cold brew, long, uh, long temperature cold brew processes yield a really interesting coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you can, you know, and that's, that's one of the, the crazy things with these new espresso machines is that like, you can vary so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can, you know, that you can, uh, change temperatures throughout the brew period. Um, you can manage pressure throughout the brew period, all, all of 28 to 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. Um, and then of course the, you know, you, the, 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 the managing the volume of the, the, the water going through, I mean, it's, um, you can, you can really dial in your coffee exactly the way you want it every single time if you want to be that nerdy. But of course, uh, economically speaking, it's kind of hard to, (laughs) absolutely (laughs) to justify, you got to spend so much money and so so much time on, uh, and so much coffee, just raw product pushing through, um, you know, your, your various parameters to, to even get it dialed in as it were. Yeah. And I mean, that's where like, um, I mean, maybe it's, uh, Maybe it's cr- crass, I guess, of me to to say like that's why the Italians just blend coffees with, you know, the twenty five beans and the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you know they they generally st- tend to stick with a, a similar roast level. But it, what it does is it allows for them to have their little cubicle espresso bars in uh, in Rome and in Venice, where the temperature swings from. You know, ten degrees in the morning to twenty to five degrees in the afternoon, and yeah. still uh, use the same grinder and the same machine and uh, and all the same temperature settings, and still end up with a pretty drinkable beverage at yeah. the end of it. Because that's the that's the danger of of having of limiting yourself to single uh, single bean espressos. Yeah, um, is it um, you're going to have a sweet spot, mm-hmm. and that sweet spot depends on your grind level, your dose level, your temperature, your uh, the pressure of the machine, and that, like the temperature of the machine so um, when you when the perfect cup of coffee or even a good cup of coffee is dependent on so many variables yeah um, the more you can do to kind of mitigate that mm-hmm. um, is uh, it, and the the, the, positive or the potential negative effects of that um, is it makes more sense as a, from a business perspective right yeah and that's I mean that's a <laughs> I guess that may be the one one of the eternal debates of whether or not you want to um, you want to explore coffee for uh, as a commodity or if you wanted to explore it as just a straight hedonistic pursuit, right? Yeah. Where you're like, this is the, you know, the best coffee that has ever existed. Yeah. And I mean, like there's, there are people who do that and yeah. you know, like it's, uh, it's wonderful that they do do that. And I think there's, uh, you know, they probably do a great deal of for um, those of us who are interested in, in producing high quality coffee without spending a ton of time, yeah, uh, doing the research ourselves is because they're the ones that are out there grading the coffee and um, at at the early stages at the farms, you know, doing those sample roasts and yeah, um, yeah, and that's a it's a it's a pretty I don't know it's, I mean I guess it's a it's a it's a, a, a mind boggling kind of amount of information and amount amount of um, dedication that it takes to 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 really uh, obsess that much about uh, a little seed in front inside a cherry
0: absolutely yeah and that's yeah that's a, that goes for just about anything though like i in any profession like there are levels to everything that's being done like, there are some people who are just so interested and invested in things like like it's no well, really just like a labor of love like it's a yeah it's a pursuit of a passion for sure absolutely i mean, I mean um, that
1: first four months uh, of being open even um, yeah at shatterbox um, i was still tweaking my blend mm-hmm. so We'd kind of talked about, i kind of insinuated that, um, you know, that Starbucks was kind of weird as, as far as going into, um, a hundred percent arabica espressos. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and it's the reason why I say that is because up until that point, uh, Robusta was a component of espressos in, uh, in all Italian machines. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that it still is in the majority of European machines. And that coffee that I was talking about earlier that, uh, that I brought home from, uh, from Germany, uh, it was, it's 20% Robusta mm-hmm. and 20% Robusta sounds like an awful lot if you're a North American, yeah. but it's kind of right in the middle if you're not. Mm-hmm. And, um, the trick with Robusta is that it has to be sourced well, um, cause the Robusta can be grown high as well as, uh, as any other or Arabica. And uh, it has to be roasted well, which is not a simple task. Arabica roasts much differently than robusta, and so it's a lot more finicky. But what it does do is it adds a ton of um, uh, of actual, you know, for lack of a less accurate term here, it's protein. It adds protein to the uh, to the espresso, which actually adds body. Yeah. Um, So you can find arabicas that have a similar kind of body to it, but it, it's not in the same quality. And if you've got a good source of Robusta, it, it, it can actually really complement the flavor. Yeah. Um, but when I opened Shatterbox, um, I didn't have a roaster that had been working with uh, Robusta for decades. Mm-hmm. And so as as I, ha- I would have had had I opened in, in Europe. Um, and so I had to go through a learning process with my roaster. I was working with Drum Roaster at the time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we went through a, a long period of tweaking and, and trying new things. And, um, and we finally got our robusta taste to taste something close to what, um, it should taste like as far as I'm concerned. And then, um, and then it was a matter of sourcing out the beans as well. And I wanted to, uh, I had a vision of, of, of a multi bean blend that wasn't as, um, I don't know. As I'll call it lazy, but I think that's probably rude. Uh, <laughs> as as, as twenty five beans, um, but I wanted to find um, something that you could parse apart if you were uh, if you knew what you were looking for. Yeah, um, and because of course you know in, in that time in, in Victoria, people were very much in, in, on it was very much on trend with the third wave coffees, and everybody was looking for single origins. And yeah. I wanted to give people the opportunity to to parse. Uh, our coffee, be able to taste the naturally processed Ethiopian that was going to add a ton of fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, the Guatemalans that um, that I like to find were were heavily blackberry oriented. Um, you know, a little bit of chocolate. Um, I wanted to find some. Uh, I tried to look for uh, coffees often from um, Central America that had a little bit of spice and stuff to it. Um, so I ended up keeping uh, our beans to generally f- or our blends to three to four well, four to five beans at the most mm-hmm. um, but that meant that because I had this vision and uh and you know other the the italian blenders um were using a ton more ingredients to achieve those visions yeah um I had to rely very heavily on on uh the skill of our roaster and then and also just like the I don't know the the obsession of like literally counting beans into uh, into into um, our buckets and hand blending everything, and of course, (laughs) it's pretty silly when you think about the fact that like I was I was counting three and four or five beans into get the gram per gram or gram per um, per kilogram ratio down right. And, uh, and knowing full well that once I put it in the hopper, <laughs> 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 there's no way that I would have everything counted exactly the right way into, yeah. into the, uh, into the, the espresso port. So or the, the uh, espresso portafilter, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I did it, I did it happily. I mean, I like, yeah. it, it was literally, it was one of those things where like, it's not quite right. It's not quite right. And mm. I'd, I'd be drinking, oh God, 15, 16 shots of espresso over the course of four or three four hours you know wow it was stupid (laughs) i I should have learned to spit but yeah um it's just so good yeah um but yeah no i mean like there are it's there is an obsession and um and and there's tremendous value in it and and i think you know i I, it was a time in my life anyways that i was 100 percent obsessed like i said 18 hours a day studying and learning and tweaking and Um, And then carrying that over into the business side of things and trying to make sure, make sure I had the perfect product for every customer that walked in the door. Yeah. I probably should have spent more time um, actually on like the, the, I don't know, the spreadsheets and all the rest of it of actually doing business. But um, I don't know, I really wanted people to come in and feel uh, number one, welcome. And then number two, just blown away by the coffee we were putting together. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, by the time, uh, by the time I was happy, I think a lot of people were happy about what we were doing and. Um, and I, you're starting to see it now, too, here in Vic, in Victoria. People are starting to really um, kind of lean a little bit more into blends again. Yeah. It's, and it's not just two bean blends like it, it had been for a number of years. They're starting to bring in that three, four, five beans. And it, it's just because it it adds a great deal of depth to uh, the coffee. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, the Italians have been doing it for literally centuries. Yeah. And, like, I'm sure they tried the the single-origin coffees for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometime in the 1600s, too, and I said, it's oh, not that's not as good as it could be.
0: Yeah. And then they added another bean and there's like, well, that's better. Yeah. But it's still not as good as it could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for some people, you know, if it's not broke, you know, to yeah. them, yeah. Like that's, I, yeah. that's enough. hundred percent. And you yeah. know, I, I, I think we might've talked about it then too, is that,
1: um, you know, I think <coughs> we are in a, in a gonna it's a, you know, we're 10 years, 15 years into the Renaissance of, uh, of coffee where people are coming to appreciate coffee in a, in a, a different and more unique and personal way um yeah. and I, you know i think you know as with anything i mean we see it here in um uh in all sorts of other um commodities or beverages or foods or whatever is that um you know in the 80s there used to be red wine and white wine yeah <laughs> and then the, and then they're like wait wait there's there's french red wine yeah and there's italian red wine mm-hmm and then they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, there's, there's, there's now Merlot's. Yeah. And there's a Chardonnay. And, you know, like all these other things that we started to kind of parse things out. And we got to the point where we're doing now a state, uh, you know, single origin, single grape yeah. v- uh, vines and wines. And people really came, became to ap- appreciate those things. And those things got really expensive and hi- in high demand. And now, um, and all the while, where Europeans had been drinking Bordeaux and uh, Cuvée's. And those were the most highly coveted wines uh, on the, on, in the old world. Yeah, um, we are now starting to find our way back to the exact same things, and it's because, yeah. yeah, the ingredients are really important. The sourcing of the ingredients is super important. But where those things become magical, is at the hands of the processors and the the the, the, the hands of the blenders. Absolutely. You know, it's the it's the the things that like. Um, you know, vermouth is one of those things that like people are go, Well what the hell? Why why would you drink this? Yeah. But you can't have a martini without it. No. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, is that Absolutely. Like, a high quality vermouth and a beautiful vodka martini is dope. Like, yeah,
0: it, it's it's <laughs> fantastic. And in the right hands, like it's much like anything, much like cooking or coffee or bartending. Like that's that's one of my biggest fascinations with all all of this as well. Like I like I was a cook for like twelve years and I've been a server and a bartender for probably nine years now and just going through and uh you know like when you find um like discovering like a good like negroni or like old-fashioned or even things like uh like a good caesar and like um like it's it's nice when you get when you find someone who knows what they're doing and can do something so simple so well yeah i there's a lot i find a lot of value in a good negroni like I, i will like uh and same thing like with like a cappuccino you know like if if you find somebody who puts the time and the effort and like the proper care and the other thing that I wanted to mention earlier about like, like what I thought was so fascinating when you're talk- talking about the experience of your first cappuccino, mm. especially with people, if you were to ask them a question mid process and if they have an answer and can very clearly tell you why they're doing something like I have, um, I value that as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's like, and I think if you're going to do these things, that's something that, one should know, you know, like um, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Like, uh, yeah, you gave me basically my first cappuccino, and you had no problem telling me the process and what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, and
1: yeah, I think there's um, again, I think North North America is kind of, I'm cl- clearly a Europhile, right? I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of 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 Europe, and um, there's North America. I think we're we're you know we're civilized people and all, but yeah. as far as Actually, uh, you know expressing humanity and and like really chasing down the the richness that can be derived from living yeah um i think they've got a much better sense of of how one achieves those things mm-hmm. and so that's where apprenticeships are really powerful tools f- because um when you're learning something i mean as a kid right what do you do? like as a two and three and four year old what are you doing walking walking around your parents going why why absolutely why, why? yeah, and that makes for a good human mm-hmm. and that same kind of curiosity intellectual curiosity makes for a great craftsperson or or you know tradesperson or a mm-hmm. master of something right yeah um and if you don't know why you're doing something then um maybe it's not necessary mm-hmm. and um and I think that's that, that's a it's it's a really important question to ask. But of course, so many North Americans don't ask that. And yeah. It, you know, how it was uh, not Howard Schultz, Charles Schultz. Hard, oh Jesus, <laughs> the names. So one one's the cartoonist, one's the coffee guy. Yeah. But anyways, both made me laugh. Anyways, um, Schultz, um, when he came back uh, from Italy and said to Starbucks guys, "Hey, we're gonna do this now," um, he never thought to figure out why the Italians were doing things in the way that they were. He never mm. he never asked the whys. Yeah. He just said this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it and this is it's enough. Yeah. And I think what it does is it, it 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 flattens the experience and Yeah. and it decreases the the value of the experience.
0: Yeah. That's kind of like the dangers of commercializing anything really. Yeah. Yeah, you lose like the the human aspect of what lose that over the when you're focused more on abundance. Yeah, um, the, the this is at risk of getting into a political tirade right here,
1: but the um there there's there's redundancies in life, mm-hmm. and, and that's the ecosystem and all the rest of it that, that really make a uh, a healthy ecosystem very sustainable. Yeah, um, and you know the fact that uh, you know uh, I don't know starlings and frogs eat mosquitoes yeah we don't go well why do we have frogs mm-hmm. we don't we don't eat frogs the mis- the starlings are going to eat the the, the mosquitos yeah that's that's a redundancy we're going to cut that for efficiency purpose mm-hmm. right <laughs> so um yeah there's the the business is not necessarily conducive to, to healthy sustainable ecosystems and, no. and and human ecosystems yeah and uh, and certainly not human enjoyment like no y- you know the um again going back to the kind of the crafts person like somebody taking um tremendous amount of joy about handcrafting a, a desk or a chair or mm-hmm. a car um, from scratch. Yeah. Um, taking it from, you know, raw materials to individual part pieces and parts and putting together and finishing it in a way that is hundred percent personalized. Mm-hmm. There's a tremendous amount of richness to that. That does not uh, uh, translate to somebody who is putting screw a into hole B for 18 hours a day mm-hmm. they may be making a desk that is similar at the end the end of it but clearly they're not getting the same kind of re- reward and enjoyment out of that process as the craftsperson yeah so yeah there's uh, a <laughs> uh, there's there's definitely conclusions to be made about uh about our, our broader society about that uh, about uh, in in those kinds of things but i don't know it's uh I don't know I think it's important that some of us carry on the, tr- the traditions of uh of you know of that kind of obsessive passion and yeah uh, and and commitment to our, our trade and our, our um, uh, and our our craft I guess yeah I don't know it's it's fu- it's funny because as much as um you know I I like I said i obsessed for co- about coffee for a long long time one of the the underlying reasons for my obsession for coffee was because of what it did for society right mm-hmm. you know um it gives people an opportunity to come together and, and have a, an interesting and stimulating conversation and Absolutely. Per, perhaps more stimulating than uh something than a different beverage right mm-hmm. um and but it also provides um in urban environments a place for people to gather and, and have really powerful conversations and and potentially make changes to the the way that they live and um and so that the community building aspect is what i ended up focusing on and this is where i'm kind of I've made my turn away from coffee sh- the the coffee shop is getting into to community organizing and, uh, and, and um, politics. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a pretty awesome awesome environment to to work in and super blessed to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. And luckily for the oh, I think personally at least we're in the the right town for this. Oh, 100%. Yeah. In terms of just like um like I mentioned earlier like about breweries and distilleries and everything else like there's A lot of um, very good locally owned and operated things going around in this town. And that's, that's, we're very fortunate for that. You know what? Uh, (laughs) When, uh, when people who
1: are uh, fiscally conservative and, and, you know, right-leaning say that government doesn't make, uh, doesn't make jobs, Mm -hmm. uh, I point them to government towns where there are tremendous distilleries and breweries and. Mm Because uh, what it is, is you have a bunch of liberally minded people who are paid reasonably well. Yeah. Who have, you know, a, a, like a 35 hour work week mm-hmm. and d- d- disposable income. Yeah. So it what it does is it gives us the privilege as people who are obsessed with various, you know, consumables. Yeah. Uh, the opportunity to, yeah, charge four bucks for a coffee. Mm hmm. You know, like. Everybody gave uh, Justin Trudeau a hard time about buying $4 donuts for his cabinet. Yeah. I mean, like, a $4 donut's a good damn donut. And yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> and it, and it provi- provides, you know, like uh, my friend Mel, uh, she's raising her family on $4 donuts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's Empire Donuts. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's, oh, I love Empire. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have a couple people who work at Empire and they'll just bring us donuts at Peacocks. Yeah. Yeah, in exchange for pool, probably. <laughs> yeah, we were we
1: were one of our first distributors. There's a couple of places uh, that um, that I think were ahead of us,
0: but yeah. Um, yeah, no, she's uh she's a heck of a human being and she makes great donuts. So and I I um I admire anyone who takes the time and effort to make a donut. Like there's a lot. Like I like I'm a I'm very confident in my abilities as a cook. I am not a good baker whatsoever. <laughs> like I don't I don't necessarily measure things. Like I will maybe the first couple of runs, but after that like I don't like once you get a feel for something, I don't really find it necessary to measure out everything. You do if you're a baker. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't. I don't have that that yeah. patience really, and yeah. um, so I I, I true I salute any good baker out there because it's it really is a science. Well, yeah, and distiller too, and like this is
1: re- I'm mentioning uh, Clay Potter of uh, Moon Underwater. Give him a little plug there. He was the first guy that I ever made a beer with a coffee. Oh beer. wow, yeah. Uh, we called it the Shatter Beer, and I think it was 2014. Uh, it was maybe tw- either 2013 or 2014. I should probably look back, but. Mm. Um, we made a, made a coffee beer. It was the first light coffee beer uh, that uh, Victoria had ever seen. Wow. Um, and uh, we were, yeah, we were mentioned as like the, one of the top beers in Victoria. There's was like, you know, leftforbeer.com. Yeah. And that uh, website there, he gave us, a, gave us a nod for being one of the best beers in, uh, of the year. And, um, but yeah, Clay, the reason why I, 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 um, I chose him was he's uh, he's one of those, again, just hyper nerds yeah. when it comes to the product of... Um, of changing you know grains into alcohol absolutely <laughs> and he um he did a uh, what they call a rauchweizen it's a smoked hefeweizen um that would rival anything that I'd ever come out of uh, a german distillery you know mm-hmm. or a, a german brewery rather and uh I knew for I knew right away that the guy had uh, a really good understanding of his trade and what he was what he was looking to provide Victorians. Yeah. So, um, I, when when we just started discussing, you know, what what kind of uh, what kind of cool things we could do, um, he was on board. I was like, hey, the cool thing the, the the inspiration for it was um, there's a, a like I said, Ethiopian coffees tend to be very very fruity. Yeah. Um, there's this awesome beer uh, that comes out of Belgium. It's called a Creek beer. Um, it's often mixed and fermented with uh, either elderberry or sometimes cherry yeah. uh, juices. And so th- I had a coffee that was brewing up that was almost was just, especially as a cold brew, it was just, it was strawberry juice. Yeah, And so I was like, we got to put this together with a, a light, um, like Belgian style, Northern French style kind of uh, lager beer. And we're going to knock people's socks off. And it, 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 he was like, yeah, let's do it. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, but again, this doesn't exist without... Uh, the privileged environment that we live in where we have a bunch of people that are absolutely you know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that have a couple of extra bucks to spend or, and are willing to spend 14 dollars on a you know
0: 750 mil bottle of uh, of high proof beer yeah i agree with you there like um even just people talk about like four dollar donuts or however much i don't judge anyone for that as long as the product's good and you enjoy it like what like what's like what are we working so hard for like yeah i, I like i say that to my girlfriend all the time like she'll find something and be like hey, who's a little expensive like well what do we work so hard for like fucking buy it like don't obviously don't let's not go bankrupt over this but yeah. you know like these little indulgences like provided everything's good and you buy it from good people i don't see the harm in it at yeah. all
1: and that's uh and th- i mean to going back to when when i was uh, gets getting started in the coffee business here um there were a lot of people that were like don't put that in your coffee it's mm-hmm. <laughs> like what do you mean i can't I can't put a little sugar in there. You know, you can't put a little cream in there. Like, and people feeling shamed by you know, mm-hmm. adding a little cream to their americano, and it's like, no, no, that's that's totally okay. Like, I have yeah. Italians that have been born and raised in uh, in Italy. They're coming to my coffee shop, going, "This is the best espresso I've ever had," and mm-hmm. then putting a tablespoon of sugar into it. And yeah, um, like at that point, it's you have to appreciate what coffee is. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a medium for a conversation. Yes, it's, a, <laughs> it's for a little bit of sustenance, a little mm-hmm. boost. Um, yeah, that, like that—that that puritanical approach to anything is—I mean, it gets to uh, again that like um, that monoculture approach to agriculture. It's like it's mm-hmm. not actually really healthy or good. It's no. um, I, I appreciating that um, that everybody can uh, appreciate whatever it is that they're they got in front of their face, yeah, however they want, as yeah. long as as long as it's it's the things that you said there is, uh, you know, like it's
0: pro- produced by good people with good products, and mm-hmm. you enjoy it, go ahead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny though. I was actually going to ask you about that. Like, if um, at any point you had, there was a point in time in you with coffee where you were like one of those like severe purists, were like don't don't put cream in that, don't do this. Because like I've I've gone through stages like as a cook or this where you know like if you added salt to something for some reason in my head, I was like, oh, how dare you! But really, like the older I got, the more it really doesn't matter. Like it, well, like and the, and the science of things
1: actually <clears throat> suggests that you're adding salt to something actually improves something. It's why like all the best French chefs are going to salt their meat yeah, salt, and they're going to salt the shit out of their meat. Mm-hmm. Same thing with potatoes. Like yeah. potatoes, like they are in interestingly flavorful yeah. as, as uh, uh, in and of themselves, mm-hmm. but you add a little salt to them and you actually really get to f- find the nuance of like these yeah. purple potatoes and these, you know, yellow potatoes mm-hmm. and bakers and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. And so like, I don't begrudge me. And the other thing is that like I perceive, flavors differently than you do like there are absolutely there are guaranteed i mean you know people that are like i'm gonna have an onion sandwich mm-hmm. like, Who? like, what yeah <laughs> it's just a that's raw madness onion, <laughs> raw onion and pickled sandwich i used to I, when i was a pub cook there was a guy who used to come in and order a raw like a sliced onion a couple of pickles and some mustard on white bread he loved it And uh, and i i judged that <laughs> i judged yeah. him real hard for it but um those those things were he wasn't a smoker so Mm -hmm. like i was i always thought maybe he's a smoker no he's not he wasn't a smoker so like our taste buds are often different they're just absolutely perceive the world differently yeah and um and so for me i like i I like a little bit of a little bit of sugar in my coffee because what Mm -hmm. it does for me anyways is it it draws out the fruit yeah um in even coffees that aren't great um and that's true so everybody can have uh or will experience coffee differently mm-hmm. um and i don't begrudge them that like i yeah. I've, I've never i've never been somebody that was like you shouldn't do that to your yeah. coffee the one thing that i do do is that like if um you know if you're adding something that has flavor to it um so like um for example shatterbox brought in hemp milk we started making our own hemp milk oh wow in 2014 when uh, like the 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 california drought was at its highest and we were like you know what all bringing all these almonds into or making almond milk out of almonds um just seemed really stupid yeah (laughs) so we started you know what like we're gonna give people an alternative we're gonna Mm -hmm. give them the opportunity to have hemp milk that's grown uh sustainably in uh in manitoba and you know we were blending it in house and it was you know it was was a sustainable option alternative absolutely um but it's got a strong flavor yeah um as an espresso, when you steam it, um, it actually, and make it into a cappuccino or a latte, it's actually really complimentary. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a drip coffee or an Americano and you're pouring it in cold, yep. for whatever reason, it doesn't do well. And mm-hmm. so, like, that's where I would say, like, uh, maybe you don't want to do that. Yeah. And so, like, that's where, again, the knowledge of the bartender and the appreciation of Absolutely. Uh, of, of the, pr- the end product.
0: Yeah, the trial and error.
1: Yeah, it's just going like, you know what, I, can I give you soy milk instead because it's not going to
0: co- corrupt the flavors. Yeah, this doesn't yet. pair well.
1: Yeah. And I mean that's that's a responsible service, right? Mm-hmm, that is. <laughs> I think that's like one's job. Yeah.
0: Like when um like if somebody gets a drink order or like they ask for something, I would like put that in my martini and just to have the you know, the knowledge to speak. I honestly don't think that's gonna be good. Like I don't
1: <laughs> We can we can actually even go one step back where it was mm-hmm. it's super uh usual or normal for people to um for servers to say, Would you like a a, a nice Pinot with um, your you with your roasted beet salad absolutely it, right yeah it's gonna be two earthy tones you're gonna enjoy it mm-hmm. you know like or would you like a something uh you know a nice buttery chardonnay with your you know halibut absolutely so like, there are it's a, a recommendation that w- isn't offensive mm-hmm. to everybody else but like you know in these kinds of environments that's the only time where i was like you know what it's probably not gonna be great yeah if you do it but you know if you want to go ahead i mean like yeah. I never fought it. yeah anything.
0: by all I means try yeah but yeah, interesting hemp hemp milk. That's that's so cool.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's pretty straightforward. We're doing it. we've it was I was sweetening with honey for a while, mm-hmm. um, but uh, just to make it super vegan so that people aren't thinking that we're slaving bees, um, we uh, we're doing it with uh, maple syrup now, and it's mm-hmm. it's super straightforward, man. It's like uh, you know 110 grams of uh, of hemp parts, whole, whole hemp parts, um, and uh, you soak it overnight with a little bit of maple syrup in there. And, uh, and then you blend that little, uh, or you just cover it with water, sit, let it sit overnight, and then you blend that, or it doesn't even have to be overnight, it's really four hours that, that'll actually do it, but overnight helps. Um, you blend that into like a really fine um, kind of paste in the blender or whatever you've got, mm-hmm. and then you just lengthen it with water, and it makes, makes about a liter at a time, and it's, uh, it's super drinkable. Um, I have a bunch of friends that are making it for their kids. Who like they rather than doing buying like pounds upon pounds or tons of uh, of almond milk or mm-hmm. milk and that sort of stuff, they're just making it for their kids. Super nutritious, high in fi- high in fiber, tons of protein. Yeah, you know. So it's, um, yeah, it's uh, it's actually I was really quite um, quite happy because of course I'm a bit of an environmentalist, right? So like um, when we came, we've always done compostable cups at, sh- at Shatterbox. Yeah, um, and so when the, that whole drought thing started to be a, a real big issue in California. Uh, we started looking for alternatives and somebody said, well, have you ever tried hemp milk? And I was like, no. Nope. So we went and bought some and it was terrible, terrible. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, we could probably make it ourselves. And then, yeah, we did a little bit of trial and error and kind of poked around and yeah, we came up with this little recipe and it was, uh, it, it, it really has, it's stuck with us. We still sell, you know, um, Oh God, uh, probably a couple three liters a day of, uh, of our house made hemp milk. And wow. Yeah.
0: I'll have to go pick some up. Cause my, my girlfriend uses a lot of, um, almond milk so mm. and she's very open to um more sustainable alternatives to things like yeah. she's
1: i would suggest you make it in-house because uh, it's not something that, that travels well like it, yeah it, it'll it, we, you could bring it into or you know bring a jar down probably fill it up for you well zero waste and yeah i mean like it's uh, yeah i mean waste management's a huge part of mm. you know we what we do as a as a business right like yeah. and as a world like we start we have to start thinking about how we we improve uh or reduce our footprint Absolutely. Uh, in, in the world and um, make a little less impact while changing minds, you know, like less, less impact on the world, more impact on human, human minds.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Again, we're going
1: to get into a political tirade here if, uh, yeah. if we're not careful.
0: Yeah. Thank you. This was uh, uh, as good as I remembered. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything on the horizon that you're excited about or anything like that you may want to plug or that you want to get out there to the people?
1: Oh, um, there's, there's so much. Um, there's, uh, I mean with, with Shatterbox, um, I want to make sure people know that we exist and that we're, Mm -hmm. we're because we moved from Yates to, to Johnson and, or sorry, to Pandora and then from Pandora and now we're now in the Victoria public market. Uh, uh, in the old Hudson building on Blanchard. (coughs) We're just in the front door there uh, off of Blanchard. Yeah. First thing you see when you walk in. Um, And uh, yeah, so we're still, we're actually, we've switched roasters now. We're not not working with with, uh, Drum Roaster anymore. We're working with Outred. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a local company that moved over to Vancouver because they got big. Um, And then they got big. When they got big, they got bad. And then uh, (laughs) the the owners, the, uh, the, the, the sons took over. Yep. And they wanted to change that um right. they've uh, they've invested a ton of money and a ton, ton of effort um into uh non, not only sourcing excellent coffee but actually roasting excellent coffee yeah and uh i would put our coffee they've started winning awards with their own coffee but um with our blends i we spent a lot of time trying to perfect it and i would put our coffee against anybody else's coffee out there right now it is awesome. so tasty right. so definitely check that out um and then I mean, me personally, I'm, uh, I'm all, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm environmentally minded, I'm community ori- or organizing and um, currently working with uh, Together Victoria to uh, elect uh, Steph Hardman, who's uh, running for a council, har- a council seat. And then uh, I'm hoping to, to make a run for the, the BC Green seat uh, in, the, in the legislature here in Victoria Beacon Hill uh, in 2021, should, that, should the election ar- arrive on time. So yeah,
0: um, that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the exciting things that are going on uh, in my life. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be sure to add any information and links to anything you want on the go. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before I uh, post this as well.
1: Cool. Yeah. Great, man. Well, thanks very much for having me. Thank you
0: so much for coming out. Like I, like I said, it's been haunting me for years that (laughs) the favorite podcast ever recorded didn't really get (laughs) get to go anywhere.
1: Well, it's uh, I I wish I I could have done better for you. There's uh, a lot of these conversations are are things that I've, I've had a little less often these days. So yeah, the topic or the, the material isn't uh, quite so top of mind, but um, I, I had fun chatting with you, so yeah, I, uh, thanks yeah, for having me. I think it sounded fantastic. Cool. cool. Well, <laughs> thank you.
0: Cheers, bud. Yeah. <laughs> and that was our episode, Bean about Coffee. Wasn't that fantastic? Callan Harris, just as fucking good as the first time I had him on the show. And just before we wrap this up, I'd like to give a special shout-out to Empire Donuts and Moon Underwater Brewing, because... As you heard, he had uh, previously collaborated with them, and they are just fantastic people. So when all this quarantine bullshit is over, I highly recommend you go check out the shops and the brewery. And stay tuned, because there's a whole hell of a lot of stuff that I know nothing about and am eager to learn. So I'm going to be bringing in people all over Victoria to come teach me how to be SMRT smart. Hope you enjoyed the show.